Shivani, we bout to party, we bout to party, unrestricted, got the house now, we gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down, got that big space pump and make them bounce now, flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. This is AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. I am one of your co-hosts, Aubrey Edwards, and today I'm here with my special co-host, Alex Abrahentes. How are you, Alex? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Aubrey. This is awesome. What a what an honor it is to be here with you. Uh, it's all right. Just, um, Tony Schiavone just decided to ditch me like an asshole. So, you know, I needed someone to fill in. Is he on the beach again? Oh, God. You know, if, if he's not, he's really missing out. But I think he actually got called <laughs> away to work like a responsible human being. So who knows? Fair right? enough. He's a pretty responsible guy. <laughs> he's a responsible guy. Well, let it slide. He he somehow does more than me. So I can't really complain at all. But yeah, it's That's uh, fair. And you do a lot. As do you, which is why you are the obvious co-host for this. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Alex too much, as much as I do want to talk about Alex. Uh, I want to talk about our guest today, which is the wonderful and amazing Wheeler Yuta. What's up, man? How are you doing? Hello. Doing good. How are you guys? We're doing awesome. I mean, I'll be honest. Tony might have ditched you because he heard it was me. Who knows? But we'll see. Oh. (laughs) Do you have heat with Tony Schiavone? Oh, no. I love Tony. I've known Tony for a long time. I actually met him when I was... He was doing commentary for MLW when I was in uh, wow. I was in college. So I'd do those shows. I'd like leave Villanova, go to wrestle on those shows, meet Tony. It was awesome. Wow, that's so fantastic. Are you sure you don't have like secret beef with Tony? Because I know some people are like, yeah, Tony <laughs> hates me and I have no idea why. And it's like, oh, well, probably because you're a dick, but whatever. <laughs> he might hold the uh, Phillies thing against me. He is a ardent, brave supporter. May hold that against me. But other than that, I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Understandable. We can We can look past that. It's fine. Yeah, anyway, let's talk about you and all the amazing things you've done at AEW so far. You had your AEW Dark debut against Carl Anderson. How did that opportunity come about? Because I know from like my vantage point, and we'll get into this a little bit, like Orange and Chuck were very involved in you coming a part of AEW. And I know Tony was a little miffed when he's like, why have you been hiding this guy from me? He's great. What? He's great. What are you doing? I don't understand. So how did the Dark debut come about? Uh, it's funny you bring them up. So, you know, I've been doing my thing on the Indies, doing my thing, New Japan Strong, Ring of Honor at the time. But yeah, so I was actually at a Sixers game with Chuck. I was there with uh, Chuck, Chuck's girlfriend, Amy, and uh, Bird, of all people. <laughs> it was the three of us. And then I get a phone call from Orange Cassidy asking me if I wanted to come down and do Dark. So I guess that they were in the middle of the uh, Arthur Ashe promotional tour so they were they were together in new york and somehow a a match came about of uh of me and mjf and then somehow that turned into showing a match of me and rocky actually from new japan (gasps) yeah that's how it all came about it was really fast but it was awesome that's fantastic so when did you obviously you you had the match with carl anderson on dark Mm -hmm. how did this turn into okay now you're going to be associated with best friends and then was it something where it was okay you're going to have a one-shot deal with the best friends and all of a sudden it became you are part of the best friends? How did that all come about? Yeah, so those guys obviously have been very instrumental, especially uh, Chuck and Orange, been like very instrumental in just helping me, train me, and bring me up in, in wrestling. So I think that once uh, we did the stuff on Dark, I think Tony kind of saw that it would be a natural fit for me to come in and be there with my real-life friends. It was really awesome. But yeah, I only came in for the... 
I had a six man tag match against HFO. I didn't know what was going to happen. They hugged me at the end and just kind of took off from there. The rest is history. The power of the hug. That's amazing. That hug. It does wonders. Oh, it feels delightful. I will say being the guy in the corner coming in is nice, but the few times I've got to just stand in the center and just be like, come on, come on, friends. It's been, <laughs> it's a real treat. <laughs> I definitely get jealous because after matches, I'll typically like roll out of the ring and hang out against the guardrail hard camera side. So I'm giving people time cues and I'm just like, I want to be a part of the hug. That looks so fun. So know, know that that is special. Never take that for granted. That's an incredible opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about kind of your more recent match with Chuck Taylor versus Mox and Danielson, which, by the way, I love drafting this match. Like every single one of you guys in this match was incredible. You all did your roles. And then at the end of the match, you obviously got smacked the shit out of by William Regal. And the crowd starts chanting your name. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, this made Wheeler. Okay, no, this is good. Uh, what's going through your head when someone like William Regal slaps you across the face? Uh, definitely fired me up. That was a real reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Regal's obviously someone that I've looked up to for a very long time and someone that I really appreciate and respect. So just to have that moment, like the magnitude of it all, he hits me, I look at him and then for a second, I just have like a, Oh wow. That's, that's William Regal. That's Brian Danielson. That's John Moxley. This is pretty cool. It's an unreal experience. It lit a fire under me. I got to go prove myself. So that's that's all I'm focused on now. What was it like knowing you were going to have this match? Were you a fan of John Moxley and Brian Danielson going in? Oh, of course. I've I was trying to see if my mom could find it at home in my childhood bedroom. But I have this like DVD of matches that I illegally ripped off of YouTube of just Brian Danielson matches from Ring of Honor <laughs> that I have somewhere. I was trying to find that. But yeah, like these are guys that I've looked up to for a long time. Moxley actually came up through a lot of the same independence that I came up through uh, when I was first starting. So he was always someone you just look at as a, a motivation, as, as well as Danielson. He was the king of the independence for so long. So that was always my path that I wanted. So looking at guys that did it, made it, and have become these huge stars were always super inspirational. So they were definitely people that I looked up to. Uh, speaking about people you look up to as our producer wonderful producer stacy was doing research for this she found a picture of you uh with some face paint of sting back <laughs> from high school uh what what was all that about like are you a big sting fan like the, the was it a halloween costume like what's going on here <laughs> so i was a big sting fan for that particular picture it was taken in my senior year of high school theater workshop class i was told i had to do any sort of uh makeup that i wanted I was like, well, I'm definitely going to just paint my face like Sting. So that's how that happened. <laughs> but yeah, Sting was, again, another person that I really looked up to. But that that is the story behind that picture. <laughs> so what's it like now knowing that you work with the Stinger and then all these amazing legends that we have here in AEW? Is there anyone necessarily maybe that you've gravitated to or that you've gotten some great advice from? Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible to be able to talk to all these people, pick their brains. One person I really enjoy talking to is Jerry Lynn. Uh, he's always got great advice. Oh, who doesn't? <laughs> right? right? What a guy. And he's given me advice on everything from like just cardio in the ring to little things and matches. So Jerry's one of my, one of my favorites, but yeah, he's, he's been great to me. It's so is everyone, but uh, Jerry obviously has been really nice to me. So really appreciate him. I recently convinced Jerry Lynn that he needs to write a book. 
he was like, oh, no one will read it. I'm like, yes. what are you talking about? Like, everyone would read everyone that book. Read <laughs> and he had told me about like how he had like, I, I'm not going to spoil it. This isn't a podcast about Jerry Lynn, obviously. We've already had him on as a guest. But like, he told me like a very quick story about like his previous marriages. And it was the most Jerry Lynn story I've ever heard. And I'm like, I just want to read different stories about this because Jerry Lynn is the greatest guy. He's like such a sweetheart. He is. He's so, so absolutely great. I don't know if you know this, but Trent and Chuck on their old interview show used to have a segment where you just say nice things about Jerry Lynn. <laughs> yes, I remember. Really? This. Everyone they ever had on it had a nice thing to say about Jerry Lynn. <laughs> it was incredible. I don't think you can find a bad thing to say about Jerry Lynn. He's like just universally loved. He's such a great human being. Absolutely. I feel like it's one of those things that if someone says a bad thing about Jerry Lynn, then it's like, oh, what is wrong with this person? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so true. Something's wrong with them. Want to talk about your indie run a little bit. You mentioned doing a little MLW, a little uh, New Japan Strong. You had an incredible indie run. We'll get into a lot of the Beyond Wrestling type stuff and Mass Wrestler eventually in another segment. But did you travel the, the road a bit with Nick Gage? Uh, yes, I did. A lot. Okay. What the hell was that like? Because he's an interesting person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick Gage is incredible. He is one of the most like real, genuine human beings I've ever met. But there, yeah, there was a point on the independence where twice a month we would go to Ohio and then back to Massachusetts and then home. How long is that drive? The Ohio drive is eight hours and then... Wow. Back to Massachusetts. Yeah. It was like 10 ish, depending on sometimes we wouldn't do it in that order, but like Massachusetts is like five or six. But yeah, so we would do that loop all the time. And just the life experience that that guy has being like a young person who hasn't lived the, the life that he's lived. It was so interesting just to like hear different things about like different things he's done in his life. But yeah, obviously get into the, the bank stuff and <laughs> talk to him about that. But he's just such an incredible person. But I do remember the first time I rode with him, I had met him just a few times. He, was, he wasn't feeling well, so he was kind of quiet throughout the ride. And then we get about 30 minutes away from the building, and he wanted to, like, amp himself up. He wanted to get hyped up. I was like, what do you do to get hyped up? And I look over, and he's watching videos of people confessing to murders. Whoa. What the hell? I was like, whoa. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was blown away. And he's like, out there, I'm a killer. I'm a killer, Yuta. And I was like... Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then he went and had this awesome match. It was great. And that, but yeah, it was, <laughs> I remember that was the first time we rode together. Is, is this your routine now? Yeah. Do you do this before going out for best friends match? I don't, uh, surprisingly <laughs> enough, but so <laughs> the duality of man, I don't know. But on the way back, he had a, we stopped at a rest stop and he showed me how to win claw machines. So I actually <laughs> won this. Uh, like two days ago. Wow. Machine. <laughs> nice. The tools Nick Gage taught me happens to be on the couch. But yeah. So. Oh my God. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. A wide variety of bizarre things Nick Gage has taught me. <laughs> uh, who else did you travel with on the Indies? So in those cars, usually Hot Sauce. Tracy Williams was there a lot. Uh, so he was one that I tagged with. We would always be on the same Beyond Loops, the AIW Loops in Ohio. He was one. And then Chuck and Orange all the time. Uh, Orange, when he was first starting with AEW, he used to do Dynamite on Wednesday. He would fly to Beyond Wrestling in Worcester, Massachusetts on Thursday. I would pick him up. I would ride up with whoever, pick him up, and then he would come home with us. But that was while well, he was incredible workhorse at that time. But he was doing all kinds of things. So we'd, we'd ride together a lot. 
I think he was still like doing the architect thing like one day a week. It's like, dude, what what are you doing? You're George yeah, Cassidy. He, You're like number one merch seller. <laughs> he told me at one point that he wasn't allowed to quit. Like, he tried to quit. And they're like, please, can you stay? Please, can you stay? <laughs> so that's how he was still a full-time architect for like three months as AEW superstar. And what were you doing in between, you know, obviously trying to pursue your dream of being a full-time professional wrestler? When I was first wrestling, I was in college. So I was uh, attending Villanova full-time uh, in Philadelphia. I would do that and leave school early to try to go make my independent bookings. Got this whole degree and then realized that if I wanted to wrestle, I kind of needed a more free schedule. So instead of using my degree, I got a job at Vitamin Shop. So I was working at Vitamin Shop. That's convenient. Yeah, it was. It was great. <laughs> I got to use the discount all the time. But then my last day at Vitamin Shop was the first time I went on the road with AEW. So the first wow. Miami show back, I opened the Vitamin Shop because no one would cover for me. I handed off my key to the, the closing manager, and then I drove to the airport. That was what I, what I did right up until I started here at AEW. What was that feeling like? It was incredible. I remember early on in the day, someone actually bought the, the Kenny Omega Total War from Redcon. <laughs> it's meant to be. Yeah, I think so. But as I was, check- I was looking the guy out, it was a guy who liked to mess with me whenever we came in. He was like, you know, if this isn't good, I'll be back. I said, you might be, but I won't. <laughs> that was my sign off to Vitamin Shop. <laughs> we are talking with Wheeler Yuta here on AEW Unrestricted already has an incredible career in wrestling and he's just getting started coming up. We're going to talk a little bit more about his, his history and we'll find out about this amazing steel drum thing. This is AEW unrestricted Aubrey and Alex here today with the wonderful and amazing Wheeler Yuta. Awesome. Matt based wrestler working with the best friends. Everything you've talked about so far has just been absolutely great. You're already an incredible person. Everybody loves you backstage. So Seeing the career that you've had so far has been just so wonderful. I want to know more about how this all started. So uh, you started in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I think? Yeah. So uh, I started at the now defunct C4W in Myrtle Beach. We had a small school down there. Uh, I trained for about two years with the guys down there. I was So then I was 16 is when I started. So I started there and then I kind of moved up to Philadelphia. And that's when I started with the Chikara school, the CZW school that was that was there at the time. And you trained with Drew Gulak for a while? Was that in CZW? Yeah, Drew was the uh, head trainer at the CZW school at the time. Damn. Drew was there, so I would do CZW class on Monday. For a while, I was doing CZW class Monday, uh, Chikara class on Tuesday. Wednesday, I would do uh, Dojo Wars, which is like the student show for CZW. And then if I had anything on the independence, that would all be throughout the weekend. And, and like, this is all when you're like 16, 17, like still in high school. So you haven't even hit that like Villanova taken bookings point in your life yet. Oh, uh, this was like right as I moved up to start that Villanova time. But, but I still wasn't taking a ton of bookings. It was mostly like, like I'd wrestle early in the week and then later in the week would just be traveling to shows, seeing what I could get on, seeing who didn't show up, bringing my gear, and <laughs> just hoping for the best. <laughs> as you do. Wait a second. You were in high school doing all of this? This po- at this point, I had just gotten to college. Okay. But when I was in Myrtle Beach, that was, that was in high school. I was doing wow. A high school student doing all of this. This is fantastic. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. We act- it's funny because we're actually going to Columbia this week. 
the old South Carolina commissioner gave us an exemption because you have to be licensed in 18. So for us training, there was a few of us that were like 16, 17. We were allowed to be on the pre-show as like a special agreement that the old commissioner had made with us. And then that just kind of got grandfathered in through like two or three other commissioners. Oh, man. If you're going to have a connection in wrestling, an athletic commissioner is probably your best possible case because that'll likely save you a lot of money and headaches. Exactly. Holy crap. That's, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to connect him with Chris Harrington. So next time we're there, it's just like, hey, let's just keep things clean. Let's keep it easy. Just a wink, wink, nudge, nudge type thing. I love it. Yeah. So tell me about this business casual gimmick. So business casual was in uh, Dojo Wars. Whenever a new person would come in and they didn't know what to do with them, uh, they would wrestle as business casual. So it was a tag team of <laughs> Pete Lightning, who was, if they had someone with lighter hair, they would be Pete Lightning. And then Hoose Blazer, <laughs> because right before someone went out one time, I think it was actually Chuck Taylor. Someone's like, Whose Blazer is that? And they didn't have a name yet. So that became the name was Hoose Blazer. Who's <laughs> Yeah, it makes no sense. But yeah, so they were business casual. And that was just kind of like passed on through whoever came in. So like when I did it, it was me and uh, Eric Martin. He was in Ring of Honor for a while. But there'd be like all these random people until these two guys did it. And they did it so well that it had to be them for like six months. And that was Bear Bronson and MJF. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) What a weird combination. Yeah, yeah. They were uh, traveling a lot together at the time because they both trained at Creative Pro. And one day they were, MJF was just the best Pete Lightning we've ever had. So he became Pete Lightning. And <laughs> Bear was Hoose Blazer and he was awesome at it too. So yeah, they were white meat baby faces, uh, business casual. <laughs> what is this world? White meat baby face? Ugh. Yeah. Oh, this- Insane. And the, bi- the big gag at the end was Every business casual match would end where they go, Pete, hoose, and they'd high five, and then they'd go, collateral damage, which I guess was the name of their finisher, <laughs> but they never hit it. So it was, they'd go, collateral damage, and then they'd turn around and then get beat every time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you ever wrestle MJF or Bear Country, you need to do a collateral damage. I don't know what the move is. I don't even think they ever set it up successfully. Oh my god! Like, yeah, that's how quickly it would always get turned around. But oh, yeah, god. I need to hit him with the collateral damage. I'll just yell you it. Do. Whatever move I do is now collateral damage. I think. Collateral damage. And well, that'll be the payoff. We finally find out what it is. Right. <laughs> Years later. Right. So listen, I, I really, I'm really fascinated. I guess I didn't really know that you traveled out to Japan to work and train at Nishinoku Pro. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did you end up going there? Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, so the Sendai girls came over for uh, King of Trios one year for Chikara. So I was just hanging out with them. And then I spoke with Mako Satomura. And then I wound up sending her a lot of my, my matches and stuff. She actually was passing them along to a few different companies. And then we got to Michinoku Pro. So Jinsei Shinzaki or Hakushi, a lot of people know him. Uh, he is the president of Michinoku Pro, and I believe at the time was also the president of Sendai Girls. So when Mako, who's the founder, sends it to him, uh, he watches it. He's like, oh, this is great. Come on over. So uh, it was actually in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at Villanova. I went over, got to spend time in the dojo. It's 
it's in like northern Japan, so it's very rural, very country town. The dojo was on top of a mountain. Wow. If you wanted to get anywhere, like get anything, the the young boys kind of had to drive you. I remember halfway up the mountain, there's a house and a vending machine. But other than that, the only thing on the mountain is the dojo. So it was a really incredible experience. But all all you have to do there is sit around and think about wrestling. Oh, wow. That's like a friggin' like magical place. Jeez. Yeah. The dojo, I was saying, like one day... I remember it felt like a movie because our training was walk down the mountain, uh, sprint back up. There's a statue of Buddha in front of the dojo. We started doing pull-ups off of the statue of Buddha. And then, and then it, was like, it was like this big circuit training. But I just remember the mountain run into the Buddha pull-ups really made me feel like this is like a movie. This is like the Japanese wrestling version of Rocky. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. That's insane. What, what do you miss most about Japan? It's, it's tough because, like, for me, the food was great. <laughs> the people were great. But uh, I really miss my family. So my mom is from Japan. She's from Yokosuka. So the last time I got to see my family in person, actually, was traveling. I flew into Tokyo, had them pick me up, got to go see them for a few days. Oh. And that's the last time I've seen them in person. That was 2017, 2018. Wow. So, yeah, it was a really... Really cool experience to be able to go over. Like, I only get to see them once every 10 years, really. So being able to take that time and through wrestling gifted me this wonderful opportunity to go reconnect with my aunts and uncles and cousins. Like, that was that was really special to me. That was great. Oh, that's super cool. Listen, I want to ask you a question because I remember seeing these promos and vignettes, but I never got a chance to watch The Masked Wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to hear about your experience because I'm, I'm a big Mass Singer fan. Like, I love the Mass Singer. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw the Mass Wrestler promo, I was like, oh my God, what a great idea. Right. Uh, so I've got to go and catch up on this, but I had no idea you were a part of it. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah. So uh, the Mass Wrestler was on IWTV. They actually just put out season two, which was really cool. But I was a part of the first season. So we were really trying to figure out what it would be. We knew, like, from the Mass singer idea it was really cool to have all of these independent wrestlers like so it's on iwtv so we wanted it to be people from different promotions that they might recognize a move or here or there but they wouldn't necessarily know who everyone was it was a really cool arc i'd always wrestled as as a baby face so this was my first time wrestling as a heel it was really cool to just have a mask and be like no one knows who i am hopefully <laughs> i can just try all these new things see what works see what doesn't I wrestled uh, Lee Moriarty in the finals, actually. He's the... Wow. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have spoiled the, the winner of the first season. Uh, but <laughs> but there, If season two's out, people missed out. It's fine. Spoilers are fair game. It's fair game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so being able to do this like whole arc and then bring it back into eventually me challenging Lee for the IWTV championship was really cool. But it was awesome. It was my first time being able to do a lot of like sit-down interviews I hadn't done before um, and then really kind of dive into a character that was a really great experience, but we filmed it all in one day. So there's a season of a whole season of this show that was just taped in one day. Wow. It was really great. And where did you film? It was Berwick, Pennsylvania, just uh, (laughs) like North. Wow. Totally random. Yeah. That's uh, Cole creative was one of the companies that was working on it and they're based nearby there. So they're, they're a great production company, but they were helping us out with that. 
And for you guys, like indie wrestling, you're just like, oh yeah, we'll just drive there. Whatever. Yeah, of course. You don't really know any better. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a quick drive. It's anything less than three hours is a quick drive when you're on the indies. Right. I was like, oh, there's a sandwich for free. You guys catered this. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's catering? Yeah. There's food? I always find it interesting. When you show up at an indie show and they have a separate like women's and men's locker room, I'm like, right. what is this? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the reality of what you have now as far as like AEW versus the reality of like what was cool back then is just like completely different world. I want to touch on this incredible match that you and Moriarty had. I think it was like a 50 minute Iron Man match for the title. If I remember the timing correctly, this is when you were both at AEW, so it just like happened to be on a weekend, or maybe that was Daniel Garcia. You guys are all like the indie trifecta, right. so it's hard to keep track of like which one of you came up at the right time. Yeah, me and Garcia were already both at AEW when we did that one, but this was for the IWTV Championship. Beyond Wrestling has always been my my home on the independence for years and years, so being able to challenge for that, that championship, that was one that I always chased. Like Orange Cassidy really, I think, took that title and he brought it around the country when he was still in the independence. I think he might have been in AEW at the same time he was the champion. If so, then me and him are the only ones to do that. But uh, he was one that really like elevated the title. And a lot of my mentors had held it. Like I mentioned, uh, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. He was the one who held it before Orange. I did commentary on the match where Orange finally beat him. It was always kind of had some extra sentimental value to me just from the people that held it in the past. Yeah, being able to go out there with Lee, who I'd wrestled only, I guess I'd wrestled him twice before counting the the mass wrestler finals, which feels like an alternate universe. Um, <laughs> but it was really fun to like go out and do a long match. I'd never, I'd never been able to wrestle for that long, and just to go out and try it, see what we could do. See, the reins were completely taken off. Like, go ahead, wrestle for as long as you want. Our goal was to make it fifty nine minutes. That was what we were trying for. <laughs> but yeah, it was just wonderful experience and then being able to do it in front of a crowd that I had seen me grow up they'd seen me be a 17 year old kid too young to wrestle MJF in the hookah bar we were wrestling in grow up and finally be able to do this long main event match. So it was full circle for a few things for me I think there so you obviously seem like a student of the game have you always been a lifelong pro wrestling fan and if so when did you when did it click for you that you realized you know what that's what I want to do when I was like a little kid, my friends or my cousins showed me this wrestling video game. And I was like the first thing that I, I would just play the, play the video game with them all the time. And then at one point they told me that real people did this. What? <laughs> <laughs> the game before actual wrestling. Yeah. So I didn't know that human beings could do this. Wow. And then I remember they showed me, we turned on the TV and there it was. And I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. So when I was younger, I thought I was going to play in the play in Major League Baseball and then go be a pro wrestler. That was what I what I thought I would do. And then I realized how much more I liked wrestling than baseball. There you go. As I grew up. So by the time uh, I was 16 and then that school opened up near me, I was like, I need to I need to go do this. So it was it's been my plan for quite a long time. That's incredible. Okay. Side tangent completely, because I did not know this and I want to know more about this. You can play the steel drums. Yes, I can. I can play the steel drum. So another like weird happenstance thing. My so my music teacher as a kid, like elementary school music teacher, has a PhD in percussion. Before he settled down to teach school, he was like traveling around like all these different places. Like he went 
he learned like taiko drumming, which is like a very traditional Japanese style of drumming. So I got to do some of that when I was younger. But then living at the time in Myrtle Beach, which is a beach town, he would play gigs on his steel drum. And we had steel drum band in elementary school. So imagine 20 third through fifth graders playing the steel drum <laughs> with our music teacher. And like, so you see me play the lead pan. That's like, I guess like the equivalent of like a lead singer in a band, but there's also like the bass drums, there's double seconds, double guitar. So I was the bass drummer. So a steel drum is an oil drum that they beat into the shape of different pitches. So the lead drum has them all on one cutoff thing. The bass drum is almost like imagine playing timpani. It's there's three notes on six full sized oil drums so that I would be playing. So that's, that's what I started on. So I would be playing those and then uh, just playing the bass line for the song. And then eventually as I got older, I wanted to play gigs and you can't do that on the bass drum. So I bought a lead pan and then my music teacher would come over and teach me how to play. And that's how it started. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm going to head down a YouTube rabbit hole yeah. after this, <laughs> this podcast. So if you, if you go on my Twitter, it's all from when like the initial lockdown started every day I would post a new video, like a new entrance theme. So I have plenty of those on there. So if you want to go, there'd be like some entrance themes. Some of really? them would be, yeah, that was for a good month or two. I had like every day, a new song and it would just be songs either that I knew or like wrestling songs I'd learn. So it's, it's a wide variety, but yeah, you can find those on there. Oh, that's super cool. The things you learn. Here on Unrestricted, <laughs> it's insane. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> just a quick question, because it just dawned on me, you, you mentioned lockdown. When you made your AEW debut, was that in Jacksonville during our quarantine days? I did. So I did the last one before everyone went back on the road. So there was already crowds were back and everything. But I did okay. one of the like the marathon late night dark tapings. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, so I did. I got to do one of those. Uh, it was actually, I think we had like a two week stay in Jacksonville. So I did like one, then I had the Carl Anderson match, and then I did another one. I got to experience it, but not not the way that everyone else did. I just had I had the one and done. Very good. You got a taste of it. Yeah. And then you got to uh, back to being in the real world, if you will, right. with, uh, <laughs> with our fans and experiencing that. Very cool. Very nice. We're talking to Wheeler Yuta here on AEW Unrestricted. And coming up, we got fan questions. This is AEW Unrestricted. Alex Abrahentes and Aubrey Edwards here with the wonderful and amazing Wheeler Yuta. We've come to my favorite uh, part of the interview where we try to pronounce people's Twitter names and uh, <laughs> fail miraculously, but find out a lot about our subjects at the same time. So it's it's fun. Real Steve V on Twitter asks, since coming to AEW, who have you been training with? What fellow wrestlers or coaches have influenced you? And can you provide an example or two? There's quite a few. Um, I think the obvious answer is going to be the best friends. You know, I've always trained with them, always try to find the like the little things that they can help me refine that the stuff that we do on BTE, where we go and we watch a match in, <laughs> in the hotel room. And then I get choked out. That's the thing that we do minus the choking part. Yeah. Um, but that's the real thing that we do is we go back, we watch. Thanks for clarifying. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> minus the part where Stat later beats me up, but, um, yeah, we'll go back and we'll really watch things and we'll take, little bits and pieces, but all of the coaches have been really helpful, especially like adjusting the wrestling style to uh, television. One of the like best kind of little pieces of advice anyone's given me was actually Excalibur. 
He said, when you think about wrestling on TV, you kind of have to know that the announcers are explaining everything you do. And he's like, one good way to kind of slow things down is imagine in your head the commentary. Like, imagine them talking about, like, what you just did. For me, that helps slow everything down because mm. I want to move a million miles a minute and go fast, 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 fast. It's like, hey, take a breath, pace yourself, calm down. And that was, that was a really helpful thing that he told him. Excalibur, always the, uh, is such a great person to get insight from. Um, so I've got a name here. I hope I don't box this. It's at Christina. <laughs> I hope I pronounced that correctly. Oh. <laughs> Giving you the easy ones is the co-host. So there you go. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Pitch me the softball. Appreciate it. Is there a story behind your black coat with the brown fuzzy lining? Um, that was actually a gift from Drew Gulak. So I one day <laughs> showed him at my dorm room and I was like, what's this? And he's like, oh, I thought it'd be a good ring jacket. Plus it's cold in Pennsylvania and December whenever he sent it. So that was, uh, yeah, that became my ring jacket. And then every once in a while, if I didn't have a clean sweatshirt, I would wear it to uh, class at Villanova and get some interesting looks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that's the story behind the jacket. Practical and fashionable. Man, Drew Gulak. Yes, exactly. Uh, heading down the list a little bit, Alex, to Ash. Who's your favorite opponent through your whole wrestling career? The two that come to mind uh, right away would be uh, MJF. MJF and I wrestled a lot when we were first kind of starting out on the Indies before his very meteoric rise. Um, but we got to do a lot of things. Like we got to wrestle beyond wrestling. We had a trilogy there. That was one of the matches that actually he showed to Tony. And that's part of why all of that came about. So he would definitely be one. And then I think Lee Moriarty is number two. We are similar wrestlers in some ways, but we're also, I think, good enough foils for each other that we can wrestle for 12 minutes. We can wrestle for 52. Um, but Lee's awesome. He's one of my favorites. So along the lines of kind of favorites, Nas Kalim asks, who's on your Mount Rushmore of technical wrestlers? Ooh. Oh, geez. That's so difficult. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I almost think I need to like divide it up into like different styles almost. Good point. Fair. So my representative from the European camp, I'm going to say Steve Gray. Um, from World of Sports, so he's one of my favorites. He's awesome. Then from Go Japan, I'm going to say Guto Hidaka. Um, so if you ever see the thing where I fall out of the ring, come back in and do a German suplex, uh, that's called I'll Be Back, and that is directly stolen from Hidaka. So <laughs> I'll give him one because uh, he did like all kinds of cool stuff in like Battle Arts and Zero One, like very different styles of wrestling. Brian Danielson, that's super easy. That's one on there. Man, another great technical wrestler. I'll have to say uh, current Ring of Honor champion, Jonathan Gresham. Oh, yeah. If we're strictly talking technical wrestlers, that would be my four. If you give me free reign, I have I have more for those. <laughs> yeah, the Mount Rushmore. But just technical wrestlers, those are my four, I'd say. Very cool. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Lonely asks, what are the three goals you want to accomplish in your wrestling career? One, I would like to go back and wrestle in Japan. So that would be one. Two, I would like to become AEW champion. Of course. That is the ultimate goal, I would say, world champion. In the meantime, I'd also obviously would love to be TNT champion. Uh, but those, those are lo more long-term goals. And number three, I think, is impress William Regal. Mm. That is my most immediate goal for right now, is to impress the three of those guys, uh, Moxley, Danielson, and Regal. Very good goals. 
So I'm going to go out of left field here. We got a really interesting question here from Mid. Mid wants to know, were you or are you a Power Rangers fan? I'll be honest. I never really was a Power Rangers guy. I don't know why. It just never, it never clicked with me. I don't know. So I'm sorry for the disappointing. <laughs> no, that's okay. Are you a toy collector? Is there <laughs> anything that you particularly like? Uh, the only toys I've ever really collected were wrestling figures. Um, I used to have so many wrestling figures, but I was never, I was never like a real collector. Like I don't have the display case that you have, Alex. I just have a lot of beat up wrestlers in like a tote. Totally cool. But whatever wrestlers I could get my hands on, that was always my, my big thing. And then I, I collected a lot of baseball cards too when I was younger. Nice. But those would be the, the collections I would say that I had. Question from Quentin, the really deep and probing question. Which Fast and Furious movie is the best for studying? I like the first one that The Rock was in. Wasn't that seven? Five. That was five? He was in five? I like that I just knew that off the top of my head. Fast five. Yeah. That was impressive. <laughs> that was the one where it sort of went from car racing to heist movie because they go through Brazil with the giant safe. Okay. Yeah. Then Fast Five. Mostly because The Rock's in it. But. It's the best one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not just because of The Rock, but he's, he's a pretty big factor. This is why we're friends. <laughs> he had something to do with it. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, Cade Krawlog. Any plans to bring back the mask? I'm assuming your entrance mask? Yeah. I think for right now, I think the mask is retired. It was kind of bizarre in The Best Friends. It didn't really fit in. I will say, I bring it every show as a good luck charm. It's still in my gear bag. That's cool. I think I will continue to bring it every show. So it's there in spirit, but I don't really have a plan to, uh, to break it back out there. I like that you say it's kind of bizarre, but then since then, Danhausen has joined the best friends. So bizarre kind of goes with best friends. <laughs> Anything's on the table. Yeah. Now we have a guy cursing people. Yes. <laughs> so. It's just as you do. No big deal. Well, I want to thank you, Wheeler, for being here today. This was absolutely wonderful. Thank you for giving us a little insight into your life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you guys both for having me. I really had a great time. and Yeah. Loved it. Looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Wheeler Yuta. Seriously. Uh, you could follow Wheeler Yuta on Instagram and Twitter at Wheeler Yuta. And then you can listen and follow this podcast. Comes out every Thursday morning on various different podcast platforms. Probably your favorite one. Definitely for free. It's awesome. And then we have video interviews Mondays on TNT's YouTube channel. Just search AEW Unrestricted. And of course, we're taking over. We're on every single channel and every single YouTube channel. Dark Elevation and Dark on YouTube, Mondays and Tuesdays, respectively. Dynamite Wednesdays on TBS. And then Rampage on TNT on Fridays. I am Aubrey Edwards here with my special guest co-host, Alex Eberhantes and Wheeler Yuta, signing off. Take care, everybody. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted.